podcast. My name is Tom Pasello. I'm the founder and partner at Genius Drive. And joining me is April Morley. Hi, April. Thanks for having us, Tom. Um, so I'm also a partner and founder at Genius Drive. Awesome. Value Coffee Talk is all about value. We're here to help you and your organization better communicate and quantify your value to customers. And our first guest to in our inaugural session is Aaron Froberg. Aaron, welcome. Yeah, thanks, Tom. Thanks, April. Happy Aaron, to be here. And coffee is a great thing, so good idea. Exactly. Now, it is a little <laughs> bit late in the afternoon that we're recording this. I hope we don't keep you up too late at night, and yeah. don't, don't blame us, Aaron. Um, Aaron was uh, the head of uh, the value practice at Ignite, which is a, a content management uh, organization, and he led the worldwide practice. He created that from scratch. Uh, Aaron was a customer of mine at uh, Mediafly in doing that. So we got to see, we basically had a front row seat to uh, the wisdom and the expertise that Aaron applied to start that program from scratch. So uh, Aaron, we can't wait to hear some input from you on a, a very important topic. Uh, there's a lot of buzz about taking a value lifecycle approach to value. And I want to know, you know, what does that mean to you and why do you think it's so important to look at value that way? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think it's one of the things that, you know, before I jump into why it's so important, I think one of the things that I learned the most through maybe even making a few mistakes right up front. So, um, you know, coming in, there's usually a, uh, and I've talked to many organizations and many value experts uh, in the profession around this as well, but there's usually an assumption of what do we need to do today, day one? What do we need to fix or put in that, that emphasizes value? And it, and it almost always is some type of business case, right? At the point of a new, new deal, mm -hmm. uh, at the point of selection. So, and that's super valuable and super important, but often what happens is once you get started down that road, you miss the opportunity to get everybody on board up front. Um, and talking to the executives, you know, this is something that uh, they definitely different groups knew about what what was being brought to the table, right? As you start building a value practice, or you make that decision from an executive level. But I don't think the majority of the groups involved in the buyer journey, because it is a cycle and it is a constant bunch of you know many touch points throughout that interaction. Um, I don't think that. Uh, everybody understood fully what it means to embed value in, in the company, right? Yeah. And to take a step back before you start building and look at it as links in a chain, because that's really what it ends up being at the end of the day. And if those links aren't strong and it doesn't flow in a in a you know logical way, in a way that feel, feels to the to the buyer that hey, they they care about value all the way across the board, not just mm -hmm. at the point of sale, right? Mm -hmm. And so. Taking a step back and looking at the whole picture, to me, is extremely valuable. One of the first things that you have to do if you want to be successful long term. I think if you don't do that, it can isolate the program, which you alluded to, where, hey, if you start with a business case in sales or you go and you hire a bunch of value consultants to go and do it, you know, is marketing on board at that point? Or are they isolated from it? Uh, what about customer success? And so by taking a much more holistic view, I think you get everyone involved and engaged. April, your program started out of marketing and the messaging. That was where you had decided to start your program at Altrix. 
It was really within the innovation team where they hosted new projects. And uh, I thought that was a great opportunity to have a cross-functional view of the organization. It was within a strategic function. So I thought that cross-functional view made a huge impact in being able to create a broad function. Yeah. Aaron, where did you start your program? Yeah, we, we started in sales specifically um, and in New Logo. So okay. the New Logo team, uh, and we really started at sort of the top level senior sellers for the most part. Um, but that's where, that's where we started off. We went everywhere else, but we started there. Yeah. Would you recommend that as the good start? starting point um, do you think it would have been better if it would have been kind of somewhere else yeah it's a natural it's a natural point because i think you can get very quick wins that way mm -hmm. um and there's always with senior sellers right there there's an understanding of value kind of implicitly already just innately right um so you, it can accelerate uh, their understanding of it how to bring it up how to propose it and that kind of thing um but yeah, I mean, I think that's a decent place to start, but I think it would change. I don't know that there's one perfect place to start. It really depends on what the organization is challenged with the most. And if, mm -hmm. in some cases, if you don't really have a good, you haven't mapped out your use cases mm -hmm. and you haven't mapped out uh, or quantified anything necessarily around what, what those things deliver, um, you might want to start upstream and, and talk with the product team and really do an evaluation of, what are we solving? What is our main, you know, main purpose? And what are the things that customers and, and, and the market really values the most? And then develop that out and, and map out your use cases and map out uh, what you know, what data points, because really a lot of value in the value team is, is shepherding data and analyzing it. So it's finding the data points that are out there, helping to suggest what data points to look for. And then shepherding that data between the different teams that often, you know, it gets fractured because there, there's some silos or there's some walls between it. Right. Now, I'd love to go back to the value lifecycle itself. And you kind of use the analogy of a chain, thinking about it as a chain. So how do you define value lifecycle? Um, I essentially define it as the relationship right the relationship that you're going to have as a consultative partner on whatever it is that problems and challenges of your customers that you're solving and so that when you have a relationship do you just you know do you just have a relationship um when you know it, co it comes to selling one product at one point in time no i mean almost every product you're looking for return sales and especially in SaaS, you're looking for renewal and subscription and continued partnership. And if you don't treat it like a living, breathing relationship in all in all aspects across the cycle, um, and that means, you know, upfront, how do you attract people with value? H how do you really get them interested in things that you know that they're they're their problems? You identify that you can solve their actual problems they care about, and then what? How can you? everyone says they solve these you know problems in the market but do you have more valid data points you know more compelling data points to to kind of prove that out at the start and your advertising and everything else that's one way to do it um and then how do you go through the process of 
learning about deeply what it, what their challenge was when they come up up front as part of the part of the initial sale. And then as you go through that process, are you making sure that your value focus is when you're presenting the business case, you're not just presenting some generic values. You're presenting exactly what they told you their problems are, right? And mm -hmm. just focus on those alone. You might have a ton of other use cases, but focus on what their challenges is and then outlining what that is. But then are, are you just going away after you're sold? No, you're, you're going to get them ready. And this is one of the mistakes I think uh, me personally or my team made sometimes is we didn't think about, you know, day 600 or day 300. And so if you don't get them ready to, to understand that in, in 180 days, we're going to come back and we're going to look at how we did. If they weren't prepared that that was going to happen, when you go back and try to do it, they look at you, look at it as you being opportunistic, mm -hmm. right? You're going to be there just to come in and try to get the renewal. But no, if you set them up ahead of time that this is what we believe in, this is how we operate, it works a lot better. And so that's the next step in the chain is customer success, you know, doing the QBRs, are they value oriented? Do you have, you know, value professionals guiding that conversation or at least helping train your CS team to do that? And then it just keeps flowing into now what I'm really interested in and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm probably, you know, maybe I'm one of the few that gets so crazy about product because I was technical, like even the technical <laughs> side back in the day. But um, like, if you're not continuously developing your product around real customer value and what the new ones are, because you develop a, a, you know, a calculator up front, a BVA, well, that's a point in time. Mm -hmm. You're solving these problems that are important in 2023. And these are the values. But in 2024, the problems could completely change, you could have a pandemic, right, <laughs> which happened. So <laughs> how do you go back? And how do you address in the with the product team? Uh, and how do you measure what are the things we should be developing based upon customer perceived value? And then how does that match up with actual quantifiable value that's, that the market is proving out or that just even doing a financial model will prove out is, is actually valuable? And then when we release it during product release, how are we releasing the value of it being the quantified value into the field and the sales enablement group so that it actually doesn't just show up as here's a bunch of new features and functions that you can advertise or you can try to sell, but here's what the difference is in value. And this is why they care about it. That's how you really get sellers to make an impact in my opinion. Love it. And you're going from marketing and the kind of attracting to the customer to selling, engaging, and ultimately creating the business case and the financial justification to the implementation to customer success. And then what a lot of people forget is, how does that then inform product, the product roadmap, what gets worked on, what doesn't get worked on to accelerate product development for what will add value? And then the other element is how it informs pricing, uh, because I do mm -hmm. think that pricing today is pretty random. Um, you know, mm -hmm. it's market based, it's but it's not value based. And ultimately, I think that's where we need to get to on the product side is product developed for value and pricing developed for value. Two missing elements I see in a lot of programs that if you start to think about it as a life cycle, it helps to solve. Absolutely. What did you guys do specifically around product measuring it? Is there anything that, that you did or have any experiences with that? Yeah, April? Yeah, so I mean, we actually didn't get into the product side 
in our program, uh, we had developed out quite a few different aspects of the organization, whether it's um, starting with the engage, we went into the cell and we didn't make it all the way to product, but that was next on the roadmap. Yeah, and hopefully yeah. many other value practitioners are doing that same thing where they're, they've got it on the list to engage with. Um, like you said, it could even be a starting point for many organizations, and we'd love to see that. Aaron, where were you challenged the most? I know that you tried to implement a full life cycle approach, but you also didn't quite get all the way there in the time mm -hmm. that you had. Yeah, I think it goes back to, you know, the reasoning a little bit was what I talked about in the beginning, which is I don't think you know, I had to go backwards a little bit because I don't think everyone realized the level of involvement that would be had by the leadership in the different teams. Um, and so that set it back a little bit and had to do some rework around. Uh, and one of the things that might be a tip for those looking to do this is we had to establish what we called essentially value, value workshops. And those value workshops were all about the one whatever the element was that we're trying to tackle or improve in the life cycle. And mm -hmm. so we had to go back and talk to the product team because that's one part of the value life cycle. We had to go back and do a workshop, you know, and we never, we never got to a full workshop with customer success, which in the value realization part, I guess that leads to my point of where we struggled a little bit and it had to do with, we're thinking about things at day one through 90, but we weren't necessarily thinking about everything. Uh, or partnering well enough to to think about what happens at day 300 or, or whatever it is, right? Mm -hmm. And so now, then the struggle was we made a lot we're, we made a lot of progress and we're making a lot of progress as I exited the company as well. Um, but we had to go back, to establish even better relationships with customer success, and then go out and do sort of value uh, interviews. To, a, to some friendly customers mm -hmm. and really ask them. And these were, a lot of these we picked customers that were kind of on the fence or didn't have the greatest health because we really wanted to show them that this this is what we care about is you getting value out of your subscription or your of, of, of the sale. And, and so we went in and, and had to go and travel around and, and you know do these interviews to really rediscover and reestablish that relationship on value. Yeah. So if we would have done that, um, upfront or that would have been done a lot earlier, we would, I think, had even more uh, expansion success for sure. Yeah, I think the constraint in resources is often a big challenge because if you think about the entire customer lifecycle in one single team owning the value conversation or articulation of value to the customer, that's a huge job. And so it, it's actually not that surprising that, you know, you get from, um, talk the first engaged conversation through the sale and then expanding into value realization is a big project and especially getting into the product side is a big project and oftentimes value teams are not that large and maybe underfunded so it can be a challenge for them to achieve what they'd like yeah absolutely that's what we found and you know that's why leveraging uh, those upfront relationships and really getting you know the leadership have to you know foster this that we we are going to be a value oriented value led organization and that means that you have to put time to this right and make it something that's either part of mbos or whatever 
because it, mm -hmm. ne it needs to be linked in somewhere so that they're held accountable to it, right? If they want to do it. Yeah. Aaron, we're floating this idea of a chief value officer. I want to get your thought on that. Um, you know, um, we think value is that important. We think it's as important as data or intelligence or some of the other, you know, compliance, security. There's chief security officers now. Why not a chief value officer? Yeah, I love it. I mean, I wanted to, I wanted to be a chief value officer three years ago. So, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it, it, again, when, when you get embedded and if you are, if you, you know, really care and are passionate and are somebody who uh, just, throws themselves into an organization to, to push value, quantify it and help. And like you said, or like we've all said, the, the, the life cycle of it becomes, it's so, it's glue. It's like, it's like you're embedded everywhere in the organization. So, and, and sometimes the challenge was, it was a lot of C-levels, that's who you're talking to. And if you don't, it's a human nature thing. It's very strange, titles to me don't mean really anything, but at the end of the day, sometimes to get movement, or get people on the same page, you know, coming from a director or a senior director or whatever is different than coming from a C, another C level, you know, in, in this case. So I think, I think that might help just because of human nature to some extent. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you guys saw the, saw the same thing, but. April. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's all about influence, right? And so if you want to, create change across an entire company, you need to have the right people behind you. And I think a lot of times those people have a chief title and, you know, to uh, a chief value officer can have a peer to peer relationship with people that they have to influence. So I agree with that, Aaron. Aaron, yes. what's the one thing you'd like to leave everyone our value warriors with today uh, about the value lifecycle approach? Um, one thing is pretty tough. Uh, I wish I could encapsulate one thing. Let me try here. Um, I think one thing that I could leave people with is, you know, set the stage for it being a constant evolution and upfront, and I probably said it to death, but upfront, make sure that, uh, you can get as many people as possible and, and show them the forest, show them the map of what, mature looks like mm -hmm. um and then realize you can't do it all today or tomorrow mm -hmm. or next year mm -hmm. and really just put those goals out there focus on one thing if you can get it do it really well and then move on to the next and keep chipping away at the stone like that excellent aaron thank you so much for participating in our value coffee talk today yeah Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.